Radio on KWNK 97.7 LPFM. Today, we are in conversation with Caroline Wade and Andrew Pell of Moonshot CVE, which stands for Countering Violent Extremism. Moonshot belongs to a relatively new breed of tech innovators focused on making the online world, which is becoming harder and harder to distinguish from the offline world, less volatile, less unhinged, less dangerous, in short, more humane. Moonshot's model strives to meet people where they are. What does this mean? It means recognizing that a person becomes susceptible to extremist indoctrination when their social or emotional needs aren't being met, when they have no real outlet for frustration, anger, or fear, when their world closes in on itself and they turn to the internet as a kind of techno-parent to guide and comfort them through hard times. Rather than abandoning these vulnerable people to the numerous and ever-multiplying dark corners of the web, like the tech giants have so far done through a combination of willed ignorance and shameless irresponsibility, Moonshot steps in. First, they identify vulnerable individuals by search terms. These days, people tell their computer more than they tell a therapist. So determining when a person is at risk of turning to violence can actually be as straightforward as looking at what they ask of their search engine. Then, Moonshot intervenes by redirecting, and we'll hear more about this in a moment, and intentionally showing the at-risk person content that addresses their legitimate needs. For someone to just listen to their grievances, for instance, in a healthy, non-destructive way. Check out Moonshot's work at moonshotcve.com. So just tell me about Moonshot and the work that Moonshot does and also um, your individual backgrounds and kind of how you came to do this kind of stuff. And Caroline, you can go ahead and start if you like. My initial background is um, I did a master's in Middle Eastern studies and I did a focus on counterterrorism studies, super interested in human security. And through those studies, it really came to identify a ma- like a major gap Um, between academia and sort of policy and what big tech was doing and things like that. Um, So I became extremely interested in how we can sort of bridge that gap, um, especially in the CVE countering violent extremism space. Um, And so I ended up using a lot of Moonshot's um, work in my thesis. um, And that's how I came to find Moonshot, actually, um, and wanting to work for them. And I think what we're doing is really unique in the space of sort of doing exactly that is bridging that gap between, you know, academia and what we're seeing online and, and policy and what big tech can do to sort of regulate and sort of counter violent extremism more broadly. Um, and so that's how I got here. I actually have a somewhat different background. So I did a more traditional sort of humanities route and actually studied um, sort of media philosophy and how communities uh, engage online, but with no connection to sort of violent extremism or the kind of very dark corners of the internet that Moonshot studies. Um, I found myself in online advertising, which is quite a niche industry, um, ad tech, so how ads are actually served. And again, a really interesting company that was more focused on how um, really exciting, more commercial content is shared and why it's shared, because people are enthusiastic about it, they're happy, Um, it's funny, and so forth. Um, And then only tangentially, I found myself working uh, first uh, in strategic communications, so trying to engage individuals who are at risk of radicalization, um, in part because I, I saw an opening in a company and I realized that um, those same tools could be really effective at engaging and challenging extremist narratives, uh, and then moved over to a human rights NGO where we focused on uh, advancing women's rights uh, and climate change issues, uh, and then circled back to Moonshot, who I'd always looked out uh, for because I was so interested in that 
the fact that the company publishes a lot of its findings and really is trying to equip the broader community with, uh, with the information it needs to tackle these problems. Uh, so I've been at Moonshot about two years, uh, but Moonshot's been around since 2015. Uh, initially, the company started uh, with a project uh, in partnership with Google, which was looking at using the redirect method, uh, which is an open source methodology, um, completely available online at redirectmethod.org, um, to disengage individuals who are looking for jihadist content online. Uh, so to simplify it, uh, really, if an individual is typing on Google search and wants to join a group or watch a propaganda video, we would serve content uh, that would challenge that belief or challenge that narrative uh, and really try and see how those individuals engage with that content and then try and disengage them with that little intervention. Um, but since then, since 2015, Moonshot's uh, field of work has really expanded quite dramatically. Uh, we've done work in gender-based violence, Buddhist ultranationalism, challenging disinformation, uh, political violence. Uh, more recently, we're, we're looking at uh, incel violence as well. So there's all sorts of, I would say, broadly speaking, online harms uh, as a company that we, we seek to work and address. Um, so we wouldn't limit it even to violent extremism, but more where there's risk and vulnerability, uh, we try and be there. Yeah, so the, the overall mission, like you're saying, um, and I'm just taking this from the website, right, says to disrupt and ultimately end violent extremism. Um, so you guys have kind of broken it down, right? And the three steps are kind of find, understand, intervene. Once again, just taken from the website. Uh, so talk about that model and kind of what each of those steps entails. Absolutely. They really, they actually inform one another. Um, and I'll use a, a redirect project as an example. So for example, we might look for where extremists are sharing a particular video. Uh, so we might find, is it on a mainstream site? Is it on a fringe site? Uh, where, what is this piece of content? What narratives are contained within it? How do people engage with it? Uh, and what kind of risks are there? Uh, second, we might understand the context of that piece. Uh, who is sharing it? Who engages with it? What kind of comments are there? Um, has it moved from mainstream to fringe platforms? Uh, and finally, this is the kind of basis we, we can use to make an effective intervention. So let's say uh, we have a jihadist video on BitChute, we might turn that into a, a keyword. We target individuals who look for that, that keyword and we present them with an alternative. Um, so really we finding that content, understanding it, and then trying to use that understanding to make an effective intervention. And I should say, you know, some of our most effective interventions are really are steer completely away from challenging a specific narrative. We focus on empathy and sort of human connections. So a simple psychosocial piece of content, uh, asking an individual, you know, are you feeling angry, uh, can be far more effective than trying to challenge an extremist narrative one-to-one. -one. Um, some people just aren't looking for that. Um, but if you try and meet people where they are, uh, that's, I think, where a lot of our methodologies kind of come to. My next question is kind of, yeah, about uh, what I think is an integral part of, of the approach here, which is sort of taking the internet and what's kind of happening on the internet seriously, you know, and, and taking people's search terms, um, you know, and, and sort of how they're using the internet, not as just recreation, you know, not, not as, oh, even, you know, so what if they're searching this, you know, it, it's maybe they're just interested, whatever, and really like taking it seriously. And I think that's an important part of your work. Um, it's something that I think more and more people are starting to acknowledge, right? Because the internet used to be sort of just you play games, you download music, you do whatever. Um, now it's everything, right? You can shop there, you entertain, but also kind of like where you learn about the world or you engage with the world, right? So talk about maybe that kind of general cultural shift, you know, like, for example, Andrew, you said you kind of came from kind of a marketing world and Caroline, you came from kind of an academic world, but now it's like, it's everything is on the internet, right? So talk about maybe that cultural shift and how 
Moonshot's work, um, you know, comes first, first and foremost from acknowledging that like real stuff happens on the internet, right? It's not just like this peripheral world of kind of having fun, right? To speak to that, I think something that um, our founder says all the time is that the internet browser is where we tell our deepest, darkest secrets, right? Um, and like you're saying, we're looking for any kind of information, um, but what we don't realize is the inherent biases programmed into that internet browser. Um, and what we're gonna get back from that is then gonna inform our real world decisions. Um, and as you can see with extremist content, um, and especially what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, um, things that happen online then translate to offline mobilization and ultimately violence. Um, and so recognizing, especially within this last year, how much people are relying on online in the internet for connection, um, you can kind of almost see that the internet more or less is seemingly like a public utility and most public utilities have safeguards in place um, for public protection, right? Or user protections. Um, and I know one of our managers says this all the time is that nobody's complaining about the guardrails on a highway or the foam mattresses on a playground. Um, so what should be different about safeguarding the internet just as we do these actual real world public spaces? Um, and so I think you know, recognizing that shift and then how we can best come in and ethically and morally, you know, regulate and protect these spaces, um, I think is something that has really come to the fore within the last year. And I think something that Moonshot is really sort of trying to innovate and stay on top of and adapt to as society is really adapting to, you know, as you're saying, learning on the internet and using the internet as their go-to for anything and everything. Yeah, so well said, Caroline. I would, I would only add that, you know, there are always going to be extremist groups or violent actors that try and weaponize media. Uh, whether it's, you know, the Telegraph, the Post, the TV, the radio, or the internet. Um, the internet just makes everything faster. So in the context of, of, you know, what we've seen in the past year, there are groups that, you know, with deplatforming, simply move to another platform. It might be encrypted. It might have different rules. It might be easier um, to sort of share particularly harmful content without regulation. It might also be that it's full of individuals who are far more radical and, and incite violence far more often. So a different sort of context where uh, a different community of harm. Um, it goes back to the sort of find and understand aspect of the work that we do, um, and, and there's been terrific reporting, I would add as well, especially in the past few years around this, but, you know, you look at, look at game platforms, Minecraft and Roblox, and these are massive, you know, billion dollar enterprises that are full of some servers that are full of, you know, harmful, violent, far-right content that, and where, you know, individuals, young people uh, might be engaging with someone who's attempting to recruit or radicalize. Uh, so it's just, it's really important to be there and to try and understand this problem and, and also to accept that it, it is going to multiply and proliferate uh, unless we're very careful and intentional about so finding where it is, understanding the harm, understanding the risk and, and taking steps to, to mitigate it. I'm a 
can't make love, at least I'll make you pay. That was New Crime by The Feeders. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM in Reno, Nevada. Today, we are in conversation with Caroline and Andrew of Moonshot CVE, an innovative tech company that blends academic research, data analysis, and social work, to use a general term, into a kind of preventative online activism that aims to turn people away from extremism and radicalization. Um, you mentioned, uh, Caroline, kind of the bias in the browser. Um, can you both talk about what, what is it? Why is the internet such a breeding ground sort of for maybe extremism and, and extremist ideologies? Because like you said, Andrew, you know, they can <clears throat> penetrate any media, right? But correct me if I'm wrong, it does seem like the internet is particularly vulnerable, um, or at least right today, it seems like this is the thing we're most worried about. We're not really worried about TV um, is there something about the internet, not just the fact that everybody uses it, but kind of the structure of it that does make it um, very vulnerable to sort of this kind of content? Um, yeah, I would go ahead and say that one of the main things that I've recognized in this work is just the disparate way that it's regulated. Um, so you have all these different platforms regulated in all these different ways and, and different policies. Um, and what we find is, especially within extremist groups, is they adapt much more quickly than, say, your average user um, to how these policies and regulations are changing and then how they can sort of preserve their life, their lifespan online. Um, so whether it's getting deplatformed from mainstream like Twitter and moving to a fringe platform like Parler and then, you know, disseminating narratives or harmful content there and then sort of rebranding that content to move back onto mainstream platforms and sharing ways to evade bans um, and things like that, I just think makes the Internet um, extremely useful to these groups, as well as being a mass communication utility that, um, you know, then once this thing is online, it has its life cycle of its own outside of the group that even put it there or the platform it was put on. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely about just the way it's regulated and how users are able to adapt and, and sort of, you know, evade that regulation, if you will. Yeah, I just add that in the context of um, even the past year uh, with COVID, you know, the internet is, is it's an, in a space where people spend increasing amounts of time. Um, it's often driven by a sort of attention economy model. So uh, individuals are looking for content that inspires, engages, challenges, really gives them a sort of emotional kick, which unfortunately a lot of extremists are designing content to do. 
Um, another thing too is that it's so easy uh, for groups to form and often they coalesce around great issues. Uh, thinking of COVID mutual aid, for example, groups, people helping people just down their street and that, that really challenges the basis of you know, a lot of uh, extremist narratives. On the other hand, uh, you have you know, individuals who might end up in a, a really high risk space, say a telegram group uh, or a website that's really, that has actually guardrails on it to keep uh, non-extremist ideologue out. Uh, so you have really high risk incitements to violence, you know, almost every day on almost every issue, um, because the outgrouping, the perceived sort of identity of this group is so strong and so hostile uh, to others. So there, there is a risk um, of individuals kind of losing, losing their way and, and really being less connected to the you know, broader society uh, and, and narratives which are not violent. And so there's, there's a greater risk of harm when, when people become isolated in that way. Um, so let's let's move on to talk about um, a specific report, um, uh, and this is the one that uh, I sort of this is what introduced me to Moonshot's work, which is the from posting to sedition report. Um, if you guys can just sort of summarize that for me, um, and because I think you know it's a really good case study of exactly the sort of work that Moonshot does. Um, and in your summary, um, if you don't mind, you know maybe just. You don't have to go into too much detail, but some kind of specific details just to give people an idea of, um, yeah, exactly what it is that Moonshot is doing and kind of what kind of data is being collected and, and, and this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, so we partnered with ADL um, to proactively monitor and respond to threats of violence and inciting violence from disinformation online around the 2020 US election. Um, and so what we were doing is we, to counter these um, incitements to violent effectively, we were um, conducting online monitoring, collection and analysis to identify rhetorical patterns, slang, memes, symbols, iconography, um, anything like that, that would then inform how we could um, shape our redirect program to sort of then safeguard people who were searching for this kind of content online. Um, and we ended up finding a lot of people were very interested in a lot of the disinformation and sort of violence surrounding the election. Um, so we recorded over 11,000 searches across the US for people interested in armed groups. Um, searchers were most interested in joining things like the three percenters. Um, they were looking for a lot of armed group merchandise, as well as like the forums of where they could engage with this content and ideologies. Um, we recorded over 3,500 searches across the U.S. for conspiracy theories, the most popular among them being QAnon, um, as well as FEMA camps and then the rigged election. There's also 1,500 searches across the U.S. expressing interest in political violence. Um, these were primarily targeted towards Democrats, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump more broadly, um, as well as recording over 7,000 searches for targeted violence. And this is people looking up things for like the anarchist cookbook or how to build C4. Um, and what we really found is, again, that online incitement um, has deadly real world consequences. And there's ways that we are working to you know, prevent these things. And it requires a really aggressive approach. Um, and I think what Moonshot's doing, uh, trying to redirect away from content is just that. But we also need to consider um, you know, holding these uh, platforms and policymakers and big tech accountable, as well as reducing the violence and rebuilding the trust required to sort of make these connections, and make the internet a safer place. Can you give me an example of some redirects too? Because, uh, you know, Andrew mentioned earlier, for example, you know, you're searching for something and you get an ad that's like, are you angry? You know, um, what are some examples of ways that you kind of identify someone who's at risk? Um, and what sort of content do you then try to encourage them towards? Yeah, happy to answer that. So we, 
we specifically focus with this project, product, project on uh, behavioral indicators of risk. So we're not profiling individuals based on where they are, who they are, what they uh, may believe, their politics, um, far from it. We did it on the basis of a search. So if someone looked for how to make C4, if someone searched Google for how to join the three percenters, we presented them with an ad. And that's just a short targeted message that's more aligned with what an individual is looking for and what we thought the, the drivers behind joining a group uh, or looking for harmful content might be. Uh, so in each case, uh, for each of the sort of main themes we had, like an armed group and then a sub-theme, like the three percenters, we sent people to a YouTube playlist that was customized for that group. Um, in the case of armed groups, who actually had a, an incredible retention rate, I would say, compared to other projects we ran, the average view time, and this is for an ad that someone clicked through to on YouTube, was about three and a half minutes. So they really, people on average really stayed and listened. Uh, the content was, uh, one of the videos was about vigilantism, so the role of law enforcement in society and why uh, the intimidation or assault of first responders is wrong, uh, something we've seen a lot of lately. Um, also, we had a, a piece on why uh, in disparate groups, which are often being riven apart by current political rhetoric across the U.S., should actually work together for peace, peacefully for better representation in government. Um, one of the lines I really stuck with me was, uh, unaccountable men with guns don't represent Americans. Uh, a ruby ridge happens every day because of that. Uh, so really trying to make that clear. Um, for the conspiracy theory playlist, we had, uh, this was actually very much with the Q community in mind. We actually had a video encouraging uh, viewers to seek out healthy dialogue um, on difficult issues with friends and family. Uh, one of the findings of the project and more of our open source research was just an enormous and quite upsetting amount of uh, mental health issues and suicidal ideation coming from that community in the wake of the election. So when the sort of failed prophecies of Q came up, we saw a lot of people were hurting. Uh, so it spoke to the importance of sharing that kind of content and helping people build bridges, reintegrate, get connected again uh, with people in their lives. Uh, so really, it was quite it's quite simple content. Again, not, not specifically aimed at a particular group, um, but often about um, really simple psychosocial issues or, or, or debunking narratives um, indirectly. Um, so just giving individuals an opportunity to have a, th a think about that and uh, challenge their, their group membership. But Moonshot, just to clarify, right, um, are you producing any of this content or are you kind of finding people who have already made it and sort of like, say you're saying a YouTube video about vigilantism and why, you know, it makes sense for the state to have a monopoly on the use of force or whatever. Like, is, it, is that video something that Moonshot makes or what's the relationship between you and the actual content that you might be redirecting people towards? Yeah, so we, we actually we curate content. So we don't produce it ourselves. Generally, we look for uh, individual creators who are credible, trustworthy, um, and loosely sort of bring them together thoughtfully in terms of what we're matching them to, but we don't you know, rely very heavily on a single source. Um, more so, it's about, you know, really, and it's not always YouTube, but really strong playlists, uh, for example, that we think are um, when you match them to, you know, for example, targeted violence, um, a playlist we might put together is uh, just literally helping people de-escalate, breathing exercises, uh, how to be mindful, how to deal with uh, anger with a view towards empathy towards your own feelings. Uh, so really, there's there's a wealth of terrific content that already exists, and our, our goal has been to sort of find, curate, um, do a very you know thorough do no harm analysis, just to make sure that anything contained in that video isn't going to be insightful or harmful to a viewer, uh, and then then send them there and see how they engage. Back in 52, lying awake intently tuning in on you. If 
That was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM in Reno, Nevada. Today, we are in conversation with Moonshot CVE, which stands for Countering Violent Extremism. Check out Moonshot's work at moonshotcve.com. Under the Resources tab, you can read the articles and reports Moonshot has produced and published covering a huge range of topics from 5G conspiracies to online misogyny in South Korea to disinformation and violence around the 2020 U.S. election. So something that I really like about Moonshot, right, is, is there is a big breadth to your work. Um, uh, like you guys talk about COVID-19 disinformation in cells. Um, there's a report on social grievances and violent extremism in Indonesia, right? So kind of all over the world um, and covering different topics, but, and this, you know, this can be kind of a, a big question, but what kind of ties these things together, right? Um, 
like what is extremism exactly? Kind of how do you identify that, right? Because I imagine, um, you know, the type of work that you were doing before you came to Moonshot, Caroline, like the reason you came to Moonshot is because there were there were some important overlaps, right, between election disinformation, say, and maybe like jihadist terrorism, right? So what are what are the things you're focusing on that tie these things together and sort of tie Moonshot's work together? Um. For me, I think a lot of it is just the online harm aspect, um, you know, how the internet is harnessed for harm rather than good. Um, and so for me, it's just wanting to be on the other side of that and then say, okay, well, how can we reverse this and use the internet for good rather than for harm? Um, so I think extremism really is any sort of ideology that is identifies violence as a means to an end. Um, and, you know, that, right, we can see that is just even rhetoric online um, can then turn anything, you know, against like anti-Asian hate then turns into real world violence offline, as we just saw in that horrific attack in Atlanta last week. Um, and so I think Andrew could probably speak maybe a little bit more to the breadth and the connection across Moonshot, but I think our real goal is just to identify online harms and find ways to mitigate and counteract that. I think that's brilliantly put, Caroline. I would say it's, it's that vulnerability and that, that risk uh, that we see, and it's trying to mitigate it and understand it better um, so that other practitioners, too, can be well-informed and can approach this, this issue holistically. Um, one example of more recent work we've been doing um, doesn't actually look at you know, individuals themselves who are mobilized into violence, but people who may have been harmed. Uh, so we run a, a tracker uh, looking at search activity in London during the pandemic uh, for uh, from people who may have been uh, involved in domestic violence. So uh, often survivors or people who may be searching on their behalf were looking for local aid, looking for shelters, uh, looking for information. And we've been trying to connect them with local support services. Uh, the, the benefit of that is that it's allowed us to help uh, local actors within the city of London actually identify where hotspots are, when people tend to search, when they engage um, and who, and, and again, with a view to really informing the issue, so understanding, um, because we know this from the charities themselves, that the referrals have gone up dramatically into the pandemic. Um, but it's, it's creating an evidence base for that. It's contributing to a body of knowledge. And then most importantly, it's helping individuals who might be looking for safe online passage to actually have access to those services and then do it in a secure and informed way. Uh, so the methodologies we create in the kind of view we have at Moonshot in, in reducing risk and vulnerability, it's not exclusive to, I would say, just violent extremism. It's, as Caroline said, all online harms that we can identify and that we can, uh, as a society, really work collectively to mitigate. Just to change gears um, a little bit uh, and kind of zone in on another uh, important topic that is uh, kind of runs parallel to some of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, the report that uh, I, I haven't finished reading it yet, but I've been reading the Malign Creativity Report, which is subtitled How Gender, Sex, and Lies Are Weaponized Against Women Online. Um, and especially in light of, of the attacks in Atlanta, right, we can see that uh, gender issues and sexism do play kind of a central role uh, in online, I mean, in, in a lot of societal issues, but in online, online extremism in particular. Um, Sometimes people talk about, and some things I read, right, people kind of talk about internet culture, and we're not talking about algorithms necessarily, but more just like the early internet, right, um, kind of a place, you know, for, you know, usually kind of adolescent boys, you know, to play games, and a lot of the kind of darker corners of the internet message boards like 4chan, right, have traditionally been sort of these very masculine or maybe that's not even the right word, but just kind of spaces where generally speaking, there's this sense that like, you know, women aren't welcome kind of. Um, and the Gamergate scandal is a good example of that. Um, but other people just sort of say that, well, 
you know, there's sexism in the world, so there's sexism on the internet, right? And they don't necessarily see the internet as being different in any way, maybe just like a reflection or magnification about issues that exist otherwise. Um, I'm kind of curious if Moonshot's work and that report in particular, right, what what you've learned about um, gender, sexism, and extremism on the internet specifically, right? And what, um, what that culture kind of looks like. And if there is something about today's internet culture that maybe will look different in the future, right? That that particularly um, kind of breeds this type of, uh, um, yeah, this type of maybe sexism with a kind of, you know, more kind of violent tinge to it, such as the incel community, et cetera. Yeah, um, yeah, I can speak to that first. I mean, I think the report outlines beautifully how online gender abuse and disinformation is often intersectional in nature. Um, and I think with a lot of, I've personally focused on a lot of these armed groups and things like that. Um, and I think the Proud Boys are actually a really great example of sort of this internet culture and sort of that um, overtly masculine or misogynistic culture that comes through with these groups. Um, and I think it really goes back to sort of power dynamics. And I do believe it is, you know, in a, sort of a reflection of society at large. Um, and sort of the unhealthy gender norms and objectification and power inequality and male privilege, you know, that's often validated and warranted and even, you know, sexualized violence against women. I think that the internet kind of acts as a force multiplier to sort of these, uh, you know, beliefs and feeling aggrieved about one thing. And then all of a sudden it's, you just easily add in, well, women too. Um, and I think we kind of see that in a lot of these groups and, and sort of the values that they have and how they're using violence to sort of achieve that power dynamic. I would just say, actually, with, with Gamergate, um, which you mentioned, Delia, I was recently reading Angela Nagel's book, Kill All Normies, and she drew a pretty interesting connection between the kind of mass mobilization of a far-right online countercultural movement, which was really, in so many ways, organizing itself around as, as a re total rejection, I guess, of kind of safe, positive online discourse, what they felt was, you know, um, yeah, the sort of the normie in the title gives it away. Sort of, a, they're they're implicitly hostile too. And and what really that movement was about was just mass online misogyny, which is a reflection of offline misogyny in so many ways. That's completely under studied and under approached um, in terms of just as we saw last week, violence against women. But um, I think seeing scandals like this and the sort of mass mobilization of these movements, it's it, we've certainly seen it increase over time. And and I feel that it has. Um, as Caroline said, it's, it's completely interconnected with, with so many other uh, structural inequalities and um, prejudices, but um, it's the, the scale of it and the fact that it energizes uh, these online mobs and that can translate from online to offline violence is a trend we've been seeing and, and one we've seen accelerate. Um, so it's certainly a concern to us and, and certainly with female politicians too in that study. Um, it's just a unique level of vitriol and hatred and it is you know absolutely not uh, comparable to the kinds of hate that men receive online. And as a society, I'm not sure if we've had enough of a discussion around the limits of speech and, and what is acceptable on these platforms, because you can log into, you know, the very large online networks and see horrific things that every day um, with very little moderation. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. And all my friends were vampires. Didn't know they were vampires. 
Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. That was Devil Town by Daniel Johnston. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM in Reno, Nevada. Today, we are in conversation with Caroline and Andrew of Moonshot. As the internet takes over more and more of our lives, the question of how we engage with the online world and how that world is structured becomes increasingly urgent. Moonshot's work tackles this issue directly by tracking and mapping extremist content and developing different kinds of figurative guardrails to guide vulnerable individuals towards healthier, preferably offline, ways to address their needs or grievances. It's interesting just to think about the difference between like tech innovators today versus a certain amount of time ago, right? Because for a long time, you know, when you're thinking about startups, it was kind of like, oh, a new gadget, a new thing you put on your phone, a new like way to buy stuff or sell stuff or whatever. You know, I think that the whole culture of what a startup is and what a tech innovator is, has kind of changed now, right? And I think Moonshot reflects that now that innovators are basically the people that are stepping in to fix the you know, whatever enormous gaps there were in the tech giants sort of like super quick um, explosion, you know, to cover the entire world, right? And so Moonshot is kind of one of those innovators. And I kind of want, you know, I kind of want you both to sort of talk about that, right? Um, Sort of talk about like this, this is a shift, right? I'm sure that you are in touch with other companies that do similar work to Moonshot, right? So now when people talk about innovation on the internet, the conversation is more about like making the internet healthier, not making it bigger, not making it faster, right? It's kind of like about making it healthier and sort of better for people. Um, So talk about how you, you know, um, first of all, maybe other groups that you kind of work with and how you guys working in Moonshot, you know, how you sort of see that landscape of innovation now. Certainly that's, um, we would like to see ourselves as as an innovator in the space and and something we take very seriously is bringing our values to it. So I think a lot of other great tech companies are are doing the same and really trying to lead with the focus on human rights, on sustainability, on uh, ensuring that, you know, underrepresented groups or or groups that are particularly at harm are served and better served by the platforms we communicate on, uh, the tools we use, the technologies we're establishing now. Um, I think working with partners who really switched on to specifically online harms, so ADL, uh, as an example Caroline mentioned, is a great partner for us, but we also work with very local civil society organizations and in many other countries. So we focused on Buddhist Buddhist alternationalism in Sri Lanka. Uh, We've looked at programs in the Western Balkans, working with local NGOs that are trying to mobilize Uh, young leaders. Uh, We see our work is much more, it's about applying the tools and the technologies that are available, but really it's in so many ways, it's about building a a safe and and informed society um, where we can, you know, people are equipped and other organizations are equipped to do, do good work and, you know, be productive and safe. I think Ilya said it best, the humane internet rather than for, you know, commodifying or anything like that. It's just making it more humane as more and more people, especially within this last year, are using the internet for everything and anything for sure. And that's something that I feel like, you know, um, it's something that I think more and more is maybe being vindicated by like the market, right? Because I think that 
even the tech giants are feeling like we don't want people to leave our platforms, right? Because they feel like this type of work is not just what a small group of kind of righteous internet do-gooders want, right? It does seem like in general, people um, and internet users kind of want this. Do you feel like you've gotten that kind of response um, from people in general that you don't, you don't have people being like, why do you need to do that? The internet's fine. Can't say I've ever heard that. No, I think there's a real, there's a real, the real appetite for this. And I think, you know, it, it, we've seen, especially in the past few years, an incredible coarsening of, of discourse and debate. And I think, you know, maybe the early vision of the internet was maybe slightly techno-utopian, to put it mildly, but it's not to say that we can't have productive conversations. We can't learn, you know, to, to engage with each other in a constructive way online. Um, and we, and we can't really understand the pitfalls um, of these spaces um, and, and try and use that knowledge to, to make our engagements better. Uh, certainly when all these platforms were created, I think, as you, you said, you know, 10 years ago, the mindset was growth. Everything was, you know, like, how, how quickly can we build this? How many people can we connect? Um, and perhaps there was less of a focus and there should have been on, you know, what the implications of that were. Um, you know, for example, we've seen Myanmar, uh, horrific genocide, and, and that was large part abetted by, you know, the connection of various groups and, and, uh, in other cases too, we've seen we've seen those mobilizations, um, and that's very context dependent. But also the recognition of what these tools can be used for uh, can help inform us uh, using them safely, um, and sort of challenging that um, going forward. Yeah, and I'll just add that, um, like you're you're bringing up or in your question about um, business one, you know, it's bad for business to have you know these extremists or all this disinformation flying around your platforms, and we saw big tech really hustle to sort of deplatform. Um, as a technique rather than a strategy, um, you know, these high profile people on their platforms that were spreading disinformation and inciting violence. Um, and really, I think it needs to be, you know, there's human behind the data and it needs to be the utmost priorities of these companies to protect those humans and users and sort of safeguard from diminishing returns of if only we have extremist content flying around our websites, you know, it's going to turn off people to our website. So I think it needs to be about, you know, being proactive in these spaces. And, and again, nobody really complains about safeguards in public spaces. So why should they complain about safeguards in online? I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, he is looking out the window at somebody coming in. It is always nice to see you, says the man behind the counter To the woman who has come in, she is shaking her umbrella And I look the other way as they are kissing their hellos And I'm pretending not to see them, and instead I pour the milk I open up the paper, there's a story of an actor who had died while he was drinking, it was no one I had heard of, and I'm turning to the horoscope and looking for the funnies when I'm feeling someone watching me, and so I raise my head, there's a woman on the outside looking inside, does she see me? No, she does not really see me, cause she sees her own reflection. And I'm trying not to notice that she's hitching up her skirt And while she's straightening her stockings, her hair has gotten wet Oh, this 
Rain, it will continue through the morning as I'm listening to the bells of the cathedral. I am thinking of your voice and of the midnight picnic once upon a time before the rain began. And I finish up my coffee and it's time to catch the train. That was Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM in Reno, Nevada. Today, we are in conversation with Moonshot CVE, which stands for Countering Violent Extremism. Check out Moonshot's work at moonshotcve.com. The way that I see some of these reports is it's even like the people that are doing these searches themselves, if they knew that they were sort of like, if they had reflected back to them, you know, kind of the thing that they're obsessing about, that might even create some level of self-awareness, you know, to be like, why am I part of this? You know, why I'm not the only one that's looking at this stuff. I wonder why that is right in an ideal kind of situation, right? Like the work that Moonshot does. And, you know, you you could use a specific example, like, um, like Nevada, right? How do you sort of see the trajectory of um, like how it works, right? Like, like what's an ideal scenario of it, of, of it working either for an individual or like for a group of people? And is it just measured by searches going down? You know, like, is there a way to sort of assess whether it's working along the way? Um, so yes, uh, speak to that if you can. It's a great question. There's a couple a couple answers here. Um, so one, yes, as you say, search traffic, it's at some level of limited intervention. It's sort of a snapshot in time of what harmful content people are looking for. And there's a narrow window where we can engage people who look for something in a really context-specific way. So they're looking to join a group. We might have, okay, we know that they're looking to engage with the community. So maybe, you know, a question behind that is, are they looking for values? You know, many people, uh, or va- a values-oriented message, rather, will be particularly engaging to them, or one about a sense of belonging. Um, because we know that, you know, for example, many people who, who engage with these harmful groups are, are really looking to engage positively in their society. We may, you know, understandably completely disagree with those groups' aims and objectives, but those those people, like sharing content that has a positive, inclusive form of American identity might be a good way to show them another path. Um, alternatively, uh, some of the interventions we do might be tar- might be psychosocial, and again, very simple. Like we might ask people, are you feeling angry? Uh, and something we've done quite successfully is actually send those those seekers uh, to a crisis line. So one thing uh, we noticed in another project was that those those people looking to make C4 hide weapons, looking for the anarchist cookbook, were far more likely than others to engage with an ad about anger. Uh, but also importantly, they were very likely to go over to a partner of ours, uh, crisis text line, uh, and engage one on one with a counselor. And one thing we saw there is that there were several users in these groups that actually came back and engaged more than once. Um, we don't have any more data than that, but what it shows is that sustained that sustained approach and offering individuals, you know, these services, um, you know, giving them the space really to challenge the narratives and you know challenge this 
yeah, um, the basis of these extremist groups can be can work. Um, and importantly, too, you know, it's about empathy. It's about meeting people where we are, where they are. We may not agree with these groups, but we can understand, you know, um, in in a certain place in time, why someone might want to join them and then try and give them an alternative. Um, the other thing too is that they are all searching online, and there's harmful content at the end of that search. So if you know 5,000 times we prevented people from actually engaging with that content and 100,000 times we've actually shown them a message which might you know, make them start thinking about disengaging from that content, uh, that to us is a success as well because we've, we've taken away some of the influence of that content which is unfortunately quite freely available still. The idea of guardrails and moonshots work, um, do you envision sort of some point in the near future, right? Uh, this kind of stuff being more integrated just into um, like the foundations of the internet, like say there's a new company, right? Um, they they can't just do whatever uh, as far as like, say, yeah, say that they're like a chat company, right? They, or, you know, like Clubhouse or something like that, that they're gonna have to at some point in the future sort of integrate certain, kind of, uh, you know, practices and um, like similar to the work almost that um, that you guys are doing, right? Do you kind of envision this work becoming not just um, the responsibility of sort of like small individual groups, but do you feel like eventually the goal would be that this is just built into the platforms themselves? Certainly, I think it needs to be. Um, I've seen so many examples just browsing online of you know, harmful content, whether it's a white nationalist tract or a conspiracy on bookstore websites or Amazon um, or you know, conspiracist content on YouTube um, or other large platforms. There's a, there's a huge imperative for those platforms, uh, large and small, uh, to make sure that that content isn't there so their users can engage safely and, and continue to come back. Uh, I, I certainly think there's so many spaces and I, I would hope that people vote with their feet where if they're not safe, if they're, uh, you know, hateful groups are allowed to thrive, that they, we simply shouldn't, shouldn't occupy them. So I think there's a, a huge cause for, for those platforms to be mindful of content and to ensure that their users have a safe experience. They are, they are their platforms. Um, and absent regulation, I think, you know, they can they can regulate themselves and make, uh, as you know, we saw with Twitter uh, taking off individuals who were espousing political violence uh, and have been for years. Uh, those decisions can have a real world impact and can make people a lot more confident to share their thoughts and to, to you know, mobilize for good on those platforms. Uh, so no, I think there's a real cause for that. But just to say, this can be very straightforward design choices as well. I'm thinking of uh, in, in India, for example, I think there were a number of uh, violent attacks against Muslims that were being perpetrated by, by, by nationalist gangs uh, that were being organized on WhatsApp on the basis of disinformation. So sort of memes being forwarded very, very rapidly. And the original source of that, that information uh, was completely unclear. So there was actually a limit, I believe, in the number of times content could be forwarded. And then after a certain point, you were notified or it was just implicit in WhatsApp group conversations themselves that something had been forwarded. So the provenance of that information was questioned and, and was made clear by the platform in the same way that, you know, Twitter or YouTube might indicate that, you know, an account is state run or that an individual uh, who, you know, has shared this piece of content might also be propagating conspiracy theories. So I think just like a, a better, these platforms can do a lot to increase our, our own sort of awareness of, of the issues um, around information that's hosted on that platform and allow users to make up that or to, to sort of make meaning for themselves and to be a lot more literate. And it's a simple, yeah, very simple choices can help inform their users. Yeah, it seems like the problem we run into sometimes is just kind of too little too late. You know, by the time they're kind of 
make these changes, it's because something has already happened, right? So they're kind of forced or backed into a position of responding to something rather than preventing it in the first place, right? Which is sort of the moonshot model um, and which makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, eventually I do think, you know, and I, I think it already is, but it'll catch on sort of as a broader sort of thing where, you know, when you're pitching your tech company's idea, one of the things they'll be asked is like, okay, here's the worst case scenario for how it's weaponized by extremists what are you going to do about it? Right. And I think that just the fact that that conversation is happening means that like the work has been effective. Right. Um, yeah. And I would like to say, you know, I really yeah. encourage platforms to continue to pursue this. And there, there has been a lot of learning in the past few years. We, we actually were involved. Um, I wasn't in this project, but the, the outcome is on our website uh, with evaluating Facebook's own redirect program. So they were looking at individuals who were searching for harmful content uh, and sending them to a local partner in the U.S., Life After Hate, that specifically works to disengage individuals from far-right groups. Uh, and we, we assess that program. We, we help both Facebook and the, uh, the, the party doing the intervention understand you know, how, how effective the program was and produced a number of very helpful lessons, not just for them, but for anyone else attempting the same kind of process. So I think as long as these learnings are, you know, we take them on board, we're generally applying them, we're sort of mobilizing as a community to prevent violence. And you know, we're, we're crucially bringing all of these partners together. Um, no one should be operating in isolation. We should be working with CSOs, you know, in the ground in, in very small communities. We should be working with global tech platforms that bring 2 billion people on board. Um, there's really no limit. And that's another, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, but it's an opportunity of looking at violence online is that we can engage all these stakeholders once and we can make structural changes that affect everyone's experience and make it a lot safer. Um, so, yeah, it's been really important for us to, to work at every level uh, and to make sure that we don't leave anyone out.
That was Ain't Got No, I Got Life by Nina Simone. You're listening to KWNK 97.7 LPFM in Reno, Nevada. Today, we are in conversation with Caroline and Andrew of Moonshot CVE, an innovative tech company that blends academic research, data analysis, and social work, to use a general term, into a kind of preventative online activism that aims to turn people away from extremism and radicalization. Check out Moonshot's work at moonshotcve.com. Under the Resources tab, you can read their reports and articles on countering violent extremism in many parts of the world. Their most recent report, Domestic Violent Extremist Mobilization in the United States, features infographics on searches for and engagement with extremist content in many U.S. states, including Nevada. For kind of the last little bit of our talk here, I, yeah, I would love to kind of narrow it down um, and understand a little bit of the infrastructure, right, of, of how projects get started in Moonshot. And like you mentioned before, too, uh, Andrew, like collaborating with local, you know, civil society organizations and stuff. So how does, you know, how does it work? Um, is this something that, you know, somebody kind of like pitches a project to you? You know, how does the um, how do how do these kind of local projects get started in the first place? It's a great question. So there's a balance between the projects that are, are sort of funded by external parties. So we have a mix of sort of private foundation government uh, and sometimes business funding. Um, for example, one of our biggest clients is Public Safety Canada. Um, on the other hand, those, those small R&D projects that you mentioned are often generated in-house. So one thing that's been really exciting about working at Moonshot is that once a month we, we mobilize as an entire team and we break up into small groups to, to address challenges that we feel particularly passionate about uh, or where we've identified there's an enormous gap. So in the case of the gender-based violence project I mentioned, looking at search activity in London under the pandemic, um, that, that arose pretty much immediately. So as soon as London went into lockdown, um, our, our head office is based there. I was there with many other members of the team, and we were really concerned with that issue. So we, we had the time and space to sort of spend an afternoon building an idea, and then subsequently, uh, and this was all self-funded by Moonshot, trying to develop uh, a methodology and an infrastructure to, to capture that data, to share it with partners and parties, uh, and try and sort of build out um, awareness on that. But that's that's been true of um, many other projects, which have you know we've subsequently put forward as proposals, um, but have come off the back of research and development. Uh, whether it's looking at you know where is extremist merchandise online, or you know going back to Buddhist ultranationalism, you know what kind of narratives are being used in particular countries to to encourage political violence against others. Um, so it's that it's that combination of, of really like in-house. Um, I think all of us are very passionate about, about these issues and, and especially ones that we see as sort of being underreported. Uh, so it's, it's that combination of that and the actual project work where we're directed to look at a specific issue or harm online um, and try and sort of take that on board. Yeah, and I would love to hear, yeah, Caroline, as far as yet yeah, um, Nevada goes, um, just some specific information that, yeah, in, in the reports that you have already done, um, what kind of things are people searching for, right? Like what, what, what's floating around out there? Yeah, um, so I can speak specifically just to Nevada as well. Um, and so with the 
posting to sedition report where we kind of looked at um, searches and safeguarded things like that between September and all the way through March. Um, Nevadans demonstrated a large appetite for political conspiracies and interest in joining armed groups, um, specifically things like QAnon, um, the Sharpie Gate conspiracy theory, and FEMA concentration camps, um, you know, really indicated that users were, were susceptible to disinformation and, and were interested in, in finding out more about that. Um, and um, what we also found that there was a lot of interest in Stop the Steal, as well as um, mainly joining the group, the Three Percenters. Um, there was a lot of, we have sort of a risk rating of how, you know, certain searches correspond to a certain risk. And we found that majority of the risks um, for Nevadans that were searching were in risk five. Um, it was about 48% of people. So that, that's pretty high risk, a good group. Um, and we also found that 47% of searches were conducted by people in the 65 plus age range, which really calls to light um, the need for media literacy. Um, that is a very susceptible audience that will then you know, fall prey to disinformation or you know, see something on local news and then the internet can take them on a wild ride to an extremist content. Um, so I think that really highlights um, a certain population in Nevada that is extremely interested in, in what they're seeing. Um, as well as we saw a lot of search spikes in Nevada around the election um, into the sort of certification period and especially around Stop the Steal mobilizations and protests that were happening. Um, and also searches spiked around the inauguration, more specifically looking for QAnon content. Um, and then very specifically, we found that Carson City County um, exhibited a lot of risk six searches, mainly for targeted violence and interested in joining the Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. Um, Clark County residents exhibited a large appetite for conspiracy theories like for QAnon in the FEMA camps, um, as well as a strong interest in the Three Percenters. Um, and then White Pine County had the largest interest in joining the Three Percenters. Um, and then we also found just on average, compared to the average of the United States, that Nevada was extremely interested in anti-government narratives as well as armed group narratives. Today, we were in conversation with Caroline Wade and Andrew Pell of Moonshot CVE. It is fairly likely that we will be seeing more companies like Moonshot that strive to fulfill the pressing need for retrofitting the internet, so to speak, with empathetic and compassionate safeguards that counterbalance the entropy of the algorithm. Now that we've figured out how to keep someone glued to YouTube indefinitely, it's time to ask ourselves the question, what should engaging with the online world mean for us, socially, politically, culturally? Just like with any other powerful technology, we have to be intentional with its use and mindful of its potential repercussions on our lives. It's a hyperbolic analogy, admittedly, but the fate of nuclear power can be instructive in a way. From scientific dream, to experimental crusade, to terrible weapon, to global neurosis, to environmental and existential wildcard, to still potent but heavily regulated and severely limited utility, nuclear technology too has had a long and fraught relationship with its human creators, who have at times been its victims. Moonshot stands at the opening of a new and most likely lengthy path by which we will discover, probably through trial and error, how to integrate and harness the potential of the internet in ways that actually benefit the offline world of its users, who can quite easily become its victims. The first step is to recognize the ways in which we depend on the internet for making sense of things, and the ways in which it betrays us by curating a version of the world calculated not to educate us, 
but to please or anger us and keep us hungrily clicking. Moonshot intervenes with a simple human gesture quite common in the offline world, where compassion long ago became a social instinct. Hey, Moonshot reaches out to you. Judging by what you are telling your computer, it seems like you might be bummed out. What's troubling you? Would you like to talk to someone? Check out Moonshot's work at moonshotcbe.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time. This was Soft Power. Has picked up at zero minus ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Fire.